What's up, y'all, and welcome back to Found Bites, a game review series. My name is Brian, and I'll be your host. If you don't know about us, we're all about testing out and finding small, high-quality video games. This is a podcast that aims to respect your time and money as a gamer and a consumer by sifting through storefronts and sales to find the gems that may be worth your precious resources. If you're interested in reaching out or helping out, feel free to email us at foundbytesgrs at gmail.com, tweet at foundbytesgrs, and also rate and subscribe to us on whatever podcast feed you're using. Also, don't be afraid to leave some comments. If you're a developer who would like to participate in our Spotlight interview series of special episodes, please reach out through any of our channels. We would love to hear from you. But enough about the show. Let's get into our next game. Inscription is the game for this week's episode. Inscription is a roguelike deck builder slash D&D immersive sim. And there are definitely a lot of tiers to those tags for this game. And we'll get into some, not all of them. But some comparable games. I see a lot of similarities with Black Book, which is a game that we've reviewed. And the deck building card game aspect. There are a lot of similarities and takings from like Yu-Gi-Oh! The Card Game and Magic the Gathering. The game was originally released in October of 2021 on PC, and then in June of 2022, it came to Mac and Linux. In August of 2022, it came to PS4 and PS5, and then finally in December of 2022, it arrived on the Switch. The game was developed by Daniel Mullins Games, and I'm pretty sure it's just... For the most part, one guy, Daniel Mullins, and he is working out of Vancouver. But I think he hires a, a lot of individuals to do uh, separate things. I know there's a separate person who does uh, the music in his games and things like that. He has released games called uh, The Hex and Pony Island, uh, both of them available on Steam. I haven't played them. They look interesting, uh, sort of cerebral, which is definitely something we'll get into with Inscription. This game was published by Devolver Digital. And we've definitely heard of Devolver before, especially in reference to games like Hotline Miami and Katana Zero, which they published. The game had a physical release in December of 2022, and I'm pretty sure the pre-orders went live in December of 2022. I don't know if they're still live. I'm pretty sure they haven't sent out anything just yet, but they made physical editions available for Switch and PS5. And this is through a site called Special Reserves. I've never heard of them, but I think they're just another physical publisher. And they have standard and special editions for both consoles. There was DLC that was released for free, and it's called Casey's Mod. And I just got access to it, so you get access to this after you quote-unquote beat the whole game. And essentially this DLC is just like a challenge mode or a rush mode, so that you can do kind of endless battles or at least that's what I'm reading. 
for MSRP, the game was originally released at a price point of $19.99 digitally. And then those special reserve editions, so I said they're standard and special editions. Uh, the standard edition is $34.99, and the special edition, which adds uh, a bunch of different goodies, is $49.99. Runtime of the game, if you're just shooting straight through and doing kind of the bare minimum, you could probably get through this game in about 10 hours, maybe closer to 12. But to do everything and to see everything in this game, probably more than 20, maybe around 25. Me, I got this for sale on PS5 for $13.99. And I've put in, I would say around 15 hours, maybe more. I did beat the game. And I know I beat the game because I got a trophy that said I completed the game and the credits finally came down. But there are multiple times in this game where it just kind of ends or puts you back to the start screen and you're not really sure if it's over. Uh, but we will definitely talk about that. In terms of recommendations, I had never heard of this game. No one ever talked about this game. I just saw it on sale and it looked super unique and interesting. I'm definitely into card games. Again, I'm not so much into roguelike games in general. The idea of having to like die and restart and die and restart, and it's kind of fatiguing because I like progress. But this game is a little different. There's a lot to this game, uh, and I'm excited to crack it open. talk about gameplay for inscription so i want to be pretty clear we've talked about how we try to avoid spoilers on this podcast before but this is going to be especially essential because in most games i don't like to spoil things i like gamers to have sort of their own experience but we're also trying to review the game in some depth this game is going to be a little different because so much of this game is experiential and sort of realizations I really don't want to ruin this experience or especially cause anticipation of things that are going to happen because I think it's really special how this game unfolds and I think it's vital that you kind of go in not really knowing what's going to happen in general. So how we're going to go through the gameplay is I'm going to start with some broad strokes that should kind of paint a general picture for the function of this game and then we'll get into some of the heart of it. But I do apologize if you have played this game or you know what I'm talking about. I'm definitely going to be vague in a lot of my descriptions. And sometimes I might be overly simplistic at times. But I think we're really going to get the core of this without revealing too much. So in general, just some statements. Uh, The game is longer than you think. And I know there are a bunch of games that do things like this. Some of the uh, Nier games come to mind, uh, like Nier and Nier Automata. It's not that literal. Like in Nier Automata, like the credits roll like 10 times. Um, or depending on all the other endings, it can roll up to 50 times. You can end the game uh, a bunch of different ways. But the game keeps going. But the thing is that it doesn't say it, but also it doesn't roll the credits a couple times. So 
if it doesn't roll the credits, just know that the game's not over, okay? Because you'll get to the end of a part and you might not know what to do. Some new options might reveal themselves. Some might not. And so the game is longer than you think. So it keeps going. So keep at it. But essentially the game is split into parts. I would say there's basically three parts. I think some people might say that there are four. Uh, The fourth part is kind of just how the game ends. But I will say that the presentation of the game will change depending on the part that you're in. Uh, But the core play stays the same. And essentially that's the deck building card game aspect. In terms of difficulty and consequences, what's really interesting about this game is that as you move forward into different parts of the game, it becomes more forgiving. So it's almost as if in the beginning there's this big hump to get over. But after you get over that hump, the game is trying to get you to keep going through it. So let's talk about that core play. So at the core, this is a deck building card battle game. And that's going to be true for all parts of this game. So what's going to vary is the format around it, kind of how that's dressed. For most of the game, how it's dressed around it is going to be this D&D kind of immersive sim that is also roguelike in many ways. And it's roguelike because you can die and you'll be starting over and you'll be starting over with a new deck. But throughout this, through dying, through going through these quote-unquote runs, you'll be learning things. You'll learn how the story quote-unquote advances. There'll be unlocking of things. There'll be even some puzzle solving. Uh, A lot of things will start to reveal themselves as you continue to play this game. So let's start with the card game. So you'll have a deck of cards. And this deck will grow. The deck is mainly just creatures. And each of these cards is going to have a certain amount of stats. So every card is going to have an attack power, which will be a number. Uh, It could be zero. Every card will have a health. And every card may have sigils, one or multiple, which are essentially like special abilities that that card possesses. Could be things that happen in general. It could be battle-specific And then each card is going to have a a cost to summon, and some of them may have no cost, which means you can just put them out. In terms of the layout, there is a board that will appear anytime a battle starts. Basically, what the board looks like is you will have a bunch of different rectangles where cards can be placed. You will have four in front of you, and these are places where you can put cards. And once you put them there, they're not going to move forward or anything like that. So where you place them is going to be strategy. And then directly across from your four spaces are four spaces for the opponent's cards. And then there's also another row of four behind your opponent's four spaces that have arrows that are pointing towards you. And essentially what that means is it's kind of a tell for what's coming next from the opponent. Because at the beginning of their turn, whatever is in those four spaces that have arrows pointing at you... They're going to move up a space and kind of line up to battle up with your creatures. But what's interesting is that if your opponent already has a card in one of the spaces and there's another one that's coming behind it, the one behind it won't be able to move up until the one in front of it is gone. Okay, so there's definitely some sort of strategy there and there's some tell of what's coming because you can actually always move your cursor over to any card and you can hit a button that'll show you like just some information about the card. So if it has a sigil, like what does the sigil do? What's special about this creature? Things like that. So the game is pretty transparent. On your turn, so let's talk in general about turn progression. You will draw a card. You will play a card or any number of cards that you're able to play. 
and then you will end your turn. And when you end your turn, all of your creatures will attack the space directly in front of them. That is if they have an attack power. So if their attack power is zero, they won't do anything. But what's going to happen is they will do damage to the health of whatever creatures are there. And if they do enough damage where their health goes down to zero, that creature, that card will be destroyed and taken off the board. If they do less, then it'll just tick down their health. If there is no creature in front of them, however much damage they do, they will do to your opponent's quote-unquote life points. And how this works is, while you're looking at the game board and you're seeing the spaces where the cards are, to the left, you'll see this scale. That's like, you know, the symbol for law, like there's a scale on both sides. So it's a balance. And what happens is anytime you do damage to your opponent's life points, it'll put sort of tokens on their side of the scale. And the goal is to get their side of the scale all the way to the floor or the the table to weigh it all the way down. And for the most part, that's going to be five. Like five tokens will weigh it down. But when you get to later battles, it'll be more. What's interesting about this is it's not that there's a total life points of you or your opponent. It's the difference. So anytime they do damage to you, some tokens will be put on your side. So it might weigh back to be balanced. Okay, so it's a constant kind of tit for tat situation where it's not so much how much damage, it's just how much more damage you're doing than your opponent is on their turn. So once it gets all the way to the floor, uh, that'll be the end of the battle. And you may get some kind of rewards for winning the battle. Uh, If it's a boss battle, which we'll talk about, you might get a special card. Let's start to get into some of the specifics because we've really only talked about the card game in general. So more specifically... You have two decks. So when you go to pick a card, you're actually going to choose between two of your decks. One of your decks holds only like simple cards. And for the first part, it's going to be a deck of squirrels. Okay, there are going to be animals in this game. Your squirrels are basically like the most basic card. They have zero attack and they have one health. And your squirrel deck is unlimited. You can keep drawing from this. You can draw one every turn. You'll never run out. And basically, you're going to uh, use the squirrels as the most basic card to then summon higher level cards. And you can always put them down as a strategy if you want to like block damage, if you can't bring anything else out, right? You'll put them as kind of like a, a scapegoat or whatever. The other deck is going to be the deck of your monsters, like the cards that you collect along the way, like your more advanced cards. And so there's a lot of strategy with when you go to draw a card, like what do you have in your hand? What's already on the board? What does your opponent have? Like, are they going to attack you? Uh, Do you need to block certain things? Like, can you summon other things? Or do you just need like something to be a punching bag? In terms of getting your advanced creatures out, like I said, there will be a cost on the card that tells you what you have to do to get this creature out. And so there may be nothing there, in which case it's like a squirrel, or you'll get other advanced cards that actually have no summoning cost, which means that you can just play the card. And you can play any amount of cards that you're able to on your turn. It's not like you play one card at a time or anything like that. It's just whatever you have, whatever you're able to work with. Some of your creatures may require a sacrifice. And this is very Yu-Gi-Oh! Because higher level monsters require a sacrifice in Yu-Gi-Oh!, And there'll be an indicator on the card in the first part. I think it's like a blood drop or something like that. If your card, if a card in your hand has one blood drop on it, that means you have to sacrifice one creature to play it. 
There will become other ways that you can play cards. Sometimes there might be bones in the creature cost on the card. And what bones represent, and this is sort of a mechanic that comes up a little as you're in the game, but it'll be explained to you pretty clearly. Essentially, any time one of your creatures dies, you will get a bone token. And so you will have creature cards that can be summoned by using up those bone tokens. So it's like an alternate way of summoning creatures. And so this adds some diversity of how you're getting creatures out. And there will be even more on top of this to come as you get to further into the game. But like I said, you can keep playing cards and you can keep sacrificing creatures as long as you have cards in your hand, as long as you have spaces on your board, because again, you only have four spaces and once they're full, if you're not sacrificing creatures, you can't just keep putting them down. A lot of stuff there. Again, I'm being very vague here, but those are sort of the basics of getting cards out and what you'll be drawing. And then you have sigils, and this is where the game can get even more interesting because these are essentially specialized attributes for the cards, and they may describe how they attack, how they defend, some of their passive abilities that happen, the way that they're played from your hand, or what happens in battle. And what's good about these sigils is that they're all automatic, but it also brings into light strategy, because some of these you might not want them to do, but they have to do every time because it's a sigil on their card. So some examples, uh, you'll have creatures with flying. And what that means is that a creature with flying can only be defended by a creature in front of them that has defend flying. So there's some interesting strategy here because when you have flying creatures, they're going to attack your opponent directly, and that might be good, but that might also not be good because other creatures in front of you, regardless of whether they have flying, when they attack, they will do damage to your flying creatures. So you may need to get one of your opponent's creatures off the board because they're really powerful or they're really annoying, their special ability is annoying, but if you put a flying creature in front of them and that other creature on your opponent's side doesn't have defend flying, you're not going to do damage to that creature. So just keep that in mind because flying is certainly a positive, but it can also be a negative if you're not aware of the strategy. Some other things that you'll see with these sigils, there might be some movement that the card is going to do. Like there'll be an arrow on the card or maybe some other things. What some of those might be is after a creature attacks, it might move a space to the left. And so you have to be aware of that because, you know, if creatures are mobile, like it could open you up. Uh, some other movement sigils, there might be a defender goalie, and you'll see this a lot. Your opponent will introduce this. Essentially, if one of your creatures is going to attack an open space and one of your opponent's creatures has the defend goalie sigil, it'll move to wherever you're attacking no matter in what sequence until that creature dies if it runs out of health. So it's basically a you know, a moving punching bag. There'll also be some more advanced things like death touch. Like whenever you do damage to a creature, it automatically dies. There might be reincarnation. Like whenever a creature dies, the card will go back to your hand. There are a lot more than this and a lot more advanced examples. And creatures can have one sigil. They can have multiple sigils. And you will find cards that already have sigils on them. You'll get situations where you can put sigils on cards. So it's a lot of added strategy. Something else you'll get in this game are items that you as the player can use on your turn at any point on your turn. And some examples of things like you can use an item that'll add one token to your opponent's scale. 
Um, there'll be an item that's like a piggy bank of bones that you can break. And if you need a lot of bones to summon creatures in your hand, there are like emergency squirrel cards, like encased in glass. It's like break in case of emergency. So if you need to like summon a creature and you know, you're out of uh, squirrels in your hand or like you just need more sacrifices or something like that. Just some general miscellaneous things about the card game. Placement and timing strategy is very important and something that took me a while to realize, whether it's the examples I talked about with like flying creatures and other sigils or like looking at what your opponent has moving forward next, you know, planning ahead so that you know where to put certain creatures. There's plenty of time in this game on your turn there's no clock or anything like that so you can definitely take your time and strategize some things to note uh your opponents don't have to like sacrifice creatures or anything like that like your opponent is just going to put down cards no matter how powerful they are like you just have to understand that like so a lot of the rules of summoning it really just applies to you this is only the basic rules that you'll get in in the first go around there will be advanced rules in the first part and in later parts of the game i think it's pretty streamlined and pretty well communicated when new things come up so i do like the pacing of that other than the card game i'd like to talk about sort of this DD sim progression that you're going to see in multiple parts of the game again not in every part but i think for the most part the amount of hours that you're spending in this game most of it is going to be the card game surrounded by sort of this DD sim and so what's going to happen for a lot of the game is battles are going to be presented through the lens of you going through a DD campaign essentially and what it's going to look like is there will be maps on a table and you'll have a little game piece that's moving forward into spaces and every time it hits a space like it'll have an interaction like it might be a battle sometimes or it might just be like different stops where you can get things this is where i see a lot of comparison with black book because it's very like you're walking along a map and when you get to a certain space you're going to have an interaction something's going to happen like you'll get to a spot and it's like you can choose a card between three cards so you flip them all over and you kind of analyze them and you pick one to add to your deck uh you'll also see this for items You'll be given three options for an item to add to sort of your pack. I feel like the item economy in this game is pretty good, but you can only hold a max of three items. Um, I try not to hoard items too much, like especially if you get close to a boss, which we'll talk about. Um, you might want to leave a slot open if you see on the map something coming up. There'll be stations for you to add a sigil to a card. Uh, sometimes you might get to a station and you might have to actually sacrifice a card. Sometimes you might sacrifice a card to empower another card. There'll be other kind of cards upgrades, like adding to a card's attack power, adding to a card's health. And there'll be NPCs that you'll come across. Uh, some of them will just be exchanges. Some of them will, will be like shops where you can get things. There are plenty of options along this sort of D&D path where you can upgrade cards and upgrade your deck. So you'll be adding cards to your deck. You'll be strengthening your deck and your cards. It's not always going to be a straight path. Like, there'll be split paths that you can go, and you'll see some of the, like, at each station, there'll be a specific symbol. So, like, there'll be a skull for a battle. There'll be, like, a question mark with two cards. Um, so you'll learn, like, what these different symbols mean. So you can be like, oh, I need cards, or, like, I want better cards, or, oh, I want to try and avoid this tough battle here, so I'm going to go this other route. So you'll be able to plan your strategy with how you progress through the map. And eventually what you're getting at on these maps is eventually at the end of it, you'll get to a boss battle. There are four boss battles 
in succession that you'll have to beat. And this is kind of true for every part of the game. Everything revolves around beating four bosses. What'll happen is you'll get to the end of a certain map, and then if you beat that boss, you'll move forward to another map. Now, the way boss battles work, they're pretty similar to battles that you've seen. How it functions is there are actually two phases in every boss battle. So end a phase, much like you would end a battle, you get your opponent's scale all the way down. But once you do that for the first time, it'll go back up and it'll kind of reset, and then you'll go to the second phase. So basically you have to lower the scale twice to beat the boss. Now what's interesting about these battles is there'll definitely be boss abilities, like gimmicks that this boss can do. They might have items that they're using of their own. There may even be landscape cards that are sort of blocking paths. And landscape cards typically don't have attack power, they'll just have like health. So you might have to like chop down a, a tree or something like that to get it out of the way. So it adds uh, some interesting elements. But the overall goal is to beat four of these boss battles, and that will sort of help you advance or move things along. But if you don't, if you lose a battle and you die, this is where the roguelike or roguelite aspect comes in. If you die, you go back to the beginning and you have to like go through all the battles again and progress through the maps. But dying is not that terrible because a lot of this is learning and things will advance after you die. Um, you will learn, quote-unquote, how to progress because it's a little more complex than you initially think. So dying and going back to the beginning, you may unlock access to certain things. You may get information. You may unlock puzzles. And what's interesting about the puzzles is if you solve puzzles, you may get cards for your deck. You may get story objects that give you information about how to progress through the game. You may just get clues about how to progress from the game, uh, not necessarily objects. But there's a lot of learning in this game, a lot of realizations. Again, I'm not trying to give anything away here. I like the structure of this. I also like that you don't need necessarily to solve every puzzle in the game. There are a lot of puzzles that I actually didn't solve, things that I missed or forgot but ultimately didn't matter because there are only a couple key things that you need to do to progress through the game. In terms of accessibility, uh, the core play, it seems very simplistic, this card game. It's very satisfying, just the card game by itself, which is why uh, I'm a little interested in the DLC because I think the DLC is just like a rush mode of the card game. And it's a quick learning curve, I will say. In general, I probably died less than 10 times in this game, most of which was in the first part. In the rest of the game, I didn't really die that much at all. Although, as I've said, like the game is more forgiving uh, as you get uh, further into the game. But progressing through this game, it's not necessarily about just beating battles. Uh, it's more about paying attention, having patience, picking up on clues, very simple things. And I like that because it's not always like, are you the best strategist or because you can be the best strategist and you can keep like beating bosses and whatnot. But if you're not picking up on the signs for how to progress, you're not going to move forward in this game.
All right, let's talk about the vibe of this game. So I'm actually pretty proud that so far I haven't really given away too much on the vibe, which is very difficult, I will say. So if you do know this game, you know that I'm pretty much walking around on eggshells. Let me just say up front for the vibe of this game, this game is not for the faint of heart or stomach. If I were to characterize the feel of this game, it's unsettling. It's disturbing. Uh, and at times it's a bit demented. Like I said, I keep throwing up the term immersive sim, and I think it's in more ways than one. In a lot of ways, this is a game within a game. There are multiple layers of this game. There are times where who you are kind of goes through some realizations. Uh, I wouldn't say that there's breaking of the fourth wall or anything like that, but uh, maybe. But in regards to some of the progression, some of the puzzles, there are some escape room vibes to this game. Just be prepared. Again, I'm not trying to give away too much or have you anticipate too much. But if you're someone that gets easily spooked or, you know, your skin crawls at a lot of things, you might really uh, struggle with this game. So let's talk about some specifics. Uh, let's talk about the visuals. So th this game, again, there are multiple parts and things change visually. But what draws you or what makes things intriguing, at least uh, in some of the parts, is the use of darkness and the unknown. A lot of times you're playing this game by candlelight. Uh, and it really sets a mood that's interesting. Um, sometimes it won't literally be a candlelight. It'll just be dim light. Other than that, the visuals are a bit grainy. And I think that helps for the unsettling vibe. There's some pixelation. For the most part, there are 3D models and objects. Um, but again, because of the darkness, sometimes the graininess or the pixelation kind of just comes off as like you can't quite make it out. And I think that really adds to the unsettling vibe. Sometimes this game is more pixelated than others. Every part or act of this game, I would say, has different visuals. For most of the game, there's like a first-person view, but there are times where it changes to a top-down view um, and maybe a little retro. When you're in the first-person view, a lot of what you're doing is like four-sided. Like you can look to your left and right at times but it's like it's almost like a, everything's a box in terms of the cards i really like the visuals of the cards and the animations for the most part they look like real cards and they look hand drawn and time, sometimes the cards themselves will actually have animations which um i i think are really well done especially from the standpoint of being immersive like you're looking at a real card um and sometimes the card itself will will do things um in terms of audio, sometimes there's just quiet, ambient silence, and it's super eerie. Um, and I, again, I really think it adds to the vibe. Um, when you're in a battle, there will be battle sounds. There will be music. The music really adds to tension. You do feel the tension. And when you're battling a boss, like this boss will have specific music to that boss, um, and I really enjoy it. In terms of sound effects... Uh, I think the sound effects of this game are really good. Like when you sacrifice a creature, when different things happen on the board, um, when the counters fall on the scale, like you can hear all that. And it's it really makes you feel like you're there and, and everything that's happening is causing something or, or whatnot.
All right, let's wrap up the conversation about Inscription. So this is a very immersive game. It is odd. It is disturbing. I really find this incredibly unique in its presentation and its progression. I feel the gameplay in general is super satisfying. I like the variation on it, but I like that it doesn't move too much away from the core gameplay. So as you go to different parts of the game, you're taking some knowledge about how the game works uh, specifically with the card game, and I, and I really like that. There's something about this game that just keeps me playing it as I go through it. Again, I did beat it, but I found that if I died, I just, it's like, I have to keep going. Like, oh, I found this thing out. I have to keep going. So there's this desire to continue to do another run. I really could not put this game down. There were multiple times where I just looked at my watch. I'm like, oh, it's 2 a.m. I can't believe I've been playing this game for so long. And I think this really works despite being unclear of when it was actually over. There was a time where I was actually like, oh, I guess that's the game. And I put it down. And then I sort of thought, well, I did get this thing. So let me just check out. Let me let me just turn this game on and see what happens if I do this thing. And all of a sudden, like, completely different part of the game. And then again, another night where I looked at my watch. Oh, 2 a.m. Jesus, I can't believe I've been playing this game again. In terms of value, I think $19.99 is a great price for the value of this game. I think there's a lot in this game as an experience. And if this game is ever on sale, it's a must-buy. I, I have to say, it is a must-buy. And I do apologize. I know a lot of what I'm talking about is super vague. I hope I'm doing the game justice but I really think it's imperative that I avoid spoilers because this game is an experience. There's so much that I would like to say, but I think it's important that you experience it for yourself. So just know that it's disturbing, it's odd, really good gameplay that's satisfying, really good loops about the card game. And overall, I think this is an experience that should be played by everyone, no matter how faint uh, your heart or stomach are. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Stay tuned for our next episode to see what new game we found for you.